Ladies and gentlemen, such a great honor for me to be present here today before the young leaders of the world from 40 countries and the distinguished gentlemen who have accomplished a lot together with the ladies that are sitting here in the front row before us. It's an honor for me as well to be present here as an Afghan to tell you of the stories of my country and of the story of success of Afghanistan and of the help that we have received during our difficult times. I received the invitation to come today to this distinguished gathering some two and a half months ago. And when I read through one of the attractions, a real major one, was that I would be here among the distinguished ladies and gentlemen, also seeing the young leaders that would be shaping the world tomorrow. Because in my own country, Afghanistan, it was precisely this generation of Afghans that had nothing to do with. No education, no life, danger all around, fleeing, and simply zero opportunity for future. For me, if there is anything that I can remember as an accomplishment would be the fact that the young Afghans have now the opportunity to go to school and learn. And we in Afghanistan now are proud of that. The other reason that this Academy of Achievement is there to encourage those who have achieved things and there to let those who are coming that achievements in all walks of life are not there only to be celebrated. But achievement is something as Senator George Mitchell said, and I very much liked the statement that he made, that the best achievement is in knowing that the service that you do for other people. I think that really is the best achievement. To know that you've done something good for others, whether that's recognized or not, doesn't matter. If you see the change that you have made, that's the biggest achievement. It's now in Afghanistan, probably three in the morning. So if I fall asleep, wake me up. <laughs> and I traveled nine hours, I believe, to be here. And I'm here just two days before the Loe Jirga. That is the Grand Council of Afghanistan to decide the next government of Afghanistan. So I, for staying away for two days from Afghanistan, I might lose some votes. But this is so important that I left my votes and came here to see you. Thank you. I will begin not with politics. I will begin with a personal story the story of an Afghan that was 20 years of age and studying when the Soviet Union invaded Afghanistan. This was 1979. 
1979, one morning when I was going to my university, I was studying in northern India in Simla. I saw the newspapers in the morning, and the newspapers said that the Soviet Union has invaded Afghanistan. My feeling at that moment suddenly was of a loss. I felt smaller, much, much smaller than I felt before that. When I was walking to my, my, my college, I heard people talking about that invasion. And suddenly I felt a loss of identity. Who am I? Do I have a country? Do I have a name? Do I have an identity? And I said, no, I don't. I don't have a country. My country is taken over. And let's do something about it. After a few days, I took a bus as a student, went something like 3,000 kilometers to the uh, western borders of Afghanistan, to the eastern borders of Afghanistan, and I saw the first batch of refugees there. Refugees that had left Afghanistan as the result of the Soviet invasion. The situation that they were, the plight that they were, but the pride that they had. I was 18 or 17 when I left the country to study abroad. At that age, you don't really know what the character of the society is, how your people are, how other people are. And I had some money with me, my stipend money that, that my mother had sent me. And I handed out some of that money to one of my fellow Afghans who was a refugee. He was insulted. He said, what do you think you're doing? I said, I'm trying to help you. He said, no, you don't help by handing me out some money. If you really want to help, you help the whole of Afghanistan. Help me go back home. This was a remarkable thing to hear. Help me go back home. I stayed a few days there. I came back to India. I had one, one year, a year and a half to, to complete my, my, my um, uh, faculty, my, my uh, graduate years. I did that, and the moment I finished that, I remembered the word that that man had told me, help, uh, help me back, go home. I came to join the Afghan resistance to fight against the Soviet Union. We won. It's a long story, I'll cut it very short, I'll come to the, to the, to the real part. We won, the Soviets left, went to Afghanistan. The Mujahideen, as they were called at that time, took power. I was uh, appointed uh, the deputy foreign minister of the country. And war began, rivalries began, interventions from neighbors began. The country went back from one disaster to another disaster. While I was in the resistance, the nine or so years that I was in the resistance fight against the Soviets, there were a group of people that were called the Taliban. There were people who were alongside other Mujahideen forces fighting the Soviets. And I knew them personally. They were good people. They were honest people. They, were, they would be very true to, to, to the spirit that, that, uh, of jihad and, and of uh, the fight against the Soviets. And when the country went to anarchy at the hands of various warlords and commanders, one day, one of these people came to me. He said, Mr. Karzai, Hamid, we were friends when we were fighting the Soviet Union in Afghanistan. Look at this country. What has happened to this country? War everywhere, anarchy, 
looting, uh, insult to women, insult to the sovereignty of this country, insult to peace. Can we do something about it? I said, sure. But how? He said, let's get together and get rid of these commanders and make the country all right. I said, fine. That's how this process of the Taliban began. Now, I did not know at that stage that there were other things behind this, that there were other forces there, that there were other um, intentions there. The Taliban movement began, and they took the country. I associated with them for about a year, because they knew them very well. After a year, signs emerged day by day that this movement is neither an Afghan movement, nor a movement for peace in Afghanistan, nor a movement for peace actually anywhere in the world. That this is a movement that is going to bring disaster to Afghanistan and to the rest of the world. This was recognized in 19, end of 1995. The Taliban emerged in 1994. I was appointed ambassador by the Taliban in mid-1996 to the United Nations. This is when they took Kabul. I refused to accept that appointment. And when they came to tell me why, I told him, because you're giving sanctuary to terrorists. Osama bin Laden had just arrived in Afghanistan at that time. I just heard his name at that time. Somebody, an Afghan pilot, came to tell me that he flew this man from a certain border of Afghanistan to Kandahar to meet with Malamar with two sacks of money in his hands, briefcases of money. And that the Taliban were banning people from education, banning women from work, and also the world did not know them the way we knew at that time. The world was still sympathetic to them, the West in particular. I began to disassociate with them. I began to travel to America. I began to travel to Europe and to tell the Europeans and the Americans that Afghanistan is going through very difficult times, that there is a danger in Afghanistan for Afghans and for the rest of the world. Very few people believed me. They said, that's not true. You are saying this because uh, they are not the type of people you are. They represent Afghanistan. You represent another culture. You speak English, you're educated, so you don't represent Afghanistan. The Taliban do represent Afghanistan. We began in Afghanistan a campaign against them, a campaign to dislodge them without help from the rest of the world. And in Afghanistan, we have a centuries-old tradition that is called the Loya Jirga, or the Grand Council, where elders, uh, influential people, representative people from all over the country get together to decide uh, on a crisis in the country to decide on a difficult issue, uh, to decide on, on matters of, of, of grave national importance. For example, there was a law in 1939 to decide whether Afghanistan should join the Second World War or not, or to stay neutral. The Grand Council decided that Afghanistan should stay neutral, and as a result, Afghanistan stayed neutral on issues like this. We proposed this to the United States, the holding of the Grand Council in Afghanistan. We proposed this to, the, uh, to Europe. And we succeeded with the help of Germany and the United States to have our first meeting of the intra-Afghan dialogue 
convened in Germany in 1998, in which 200 Afghans uh, gathered and um, discussed Afghanistan and decided upon calling of the Loe Jarga, the Grand Council. That's where the idea of a political solution to Afghanistan emerged for the first time. That's where recognition of problems in Afghanistan emerged for the first time in the international community. By 1999, a lot of us in Afghanistan were completely sure, without the slightest doubt, that there was a massive terroristic movement going on inside Afghanistan. That the country was completely taken over by terrorism. That the country was run by terrorism. That this terrorism intended to damage the rest of the world. Tremendous killing was going on. Tremendous torture was going on. Tremendous violation of human rights, of destruction of property. You think of any aspect of life that was being destroyed. Culture, values and everything. Even then, the rest of the world did not understand it very much. Till the incident of coal occurred, the ship at Yemen, which was bombed. And later on, the destruction of the Bamiyan statues, the, the Buddha statues in Afghanistan. And subsequent to that, that unfortunate incident in New York, the 9-11, the attack there. Before that, in year 2000, I went and appeared before the Senate Foreign Relations Committee. Senator Brownback was chairing that, that committee at the time. And I spoke there, and I kind of told the Senate that if you don't address the situation in Afghanistan, things may not be uh, the way you imagine. Things may be horrible. And I named certain countries that I'm not going to talk about that. When September 11 occurred, when that disaster occurred, I went to the US Embassy in Islamabad. And I told them that I kind of kept telling the world and the US that there is terrorism in Afghanistan. Now you saw it. What do you do? We are ready to help. There was some disbelief. They said, yes, Hamid, we know that these people are horrible, that they're disastrous. But the Afghan people may not let us act there, may not let us work there. I said, no, we know that the Afghan people are fed up with them. They want change, but they cannot bring about a change without your help, without the help of the United States, without the help of the world community, because they are incapacitated by years of war and destruction. And then the question was, how do we go in? How do we go to Afghanistan? Over the years, Four or five years while we were preparing on our own to move into Afghanistan to bring a change to this country, the question was how to do it without help from outside. Our elders from all over the country, when we would sit down with them to talk about events in Afghanistan, they would say, young men, Hamid, my father would always tell me, go get us the United States, then we will succeed. Without that, you might just kill us and get no results. But by the 1st of October of 2001, just a month and a few days after 9-11, I was one day sitting with four of my colleagues, five of my colleagues, and I told them that Afghanistan cannot have any more of this. Let's move in 
and the world community might help us. They said, no, the world will not help us. I said, they will. They said, you've been telling this for five or six years. Nobody has helped. I said, this is different time. Think of New York. Think of what happened there. The world has woken up. Let's move into Afghanistan. Let's move into the heart of Taliban. I had worked there, of course. It was not just a thing that occurred that day. We had worked for, 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 for five or six years in the community. And they said, right. So we secretly decided to move into Afghanistan, went to the borders, had two motorbikes and four people. And in the morning before we moved into Afghanistan, I told my colleagues, I said, listen, friends, you're moving into Afghanistan. It's taken over by terrorists. It's taken over by Taliban. It's taken over by all sorts of foreign people that have come to Afghanistan that are ruining life for us and for the rest of the world. We might be captured the moment we enter Afghanistan and killed. Are you willing to face that? And I also said, we have 60% chance of death and 40% chance to live and survive. Winning was no consideration. I mean, we could not even think of that. They said, all right, let's do it. We got on two motorbikes. We drove into Afghanistan straight from the Pakistani border. This is, this is either probably the US bombing has begun or it has, it's to begin in a day or two. I don't know when the US bombing began in, in Afghanistan. So we moved in on two motorbikes. We got a flat tire three or four times along the way on the highway, but the Taliban did not capture us. So we were lucky. God was with us, surely. We moved into uh, Kandahar city, the heartland of the Taliban, spent the night in a villager's house. He protected us. That was the first sign for me that people want to help. The next morning, early morning, he came to me and said, Hamid, what do you want to do? I said, I want to remove the Taliban. He said, but how, what do you have? These two motorbikes and four people with you, three people with you? <laughs> I said, no, sure not that. But there are people that I've been talking to for many years and including yourself, let's do something. He looked at me in disbelief and he went out and he came back. He said, look, um, I guess uh, if you stayed a few more days in Kandahar, the Taliban would capture you. So you better leave, uh, go to central parts of Afghanistan where possibilities are more, where there are mountains you can hide and you can organize the resistance. I said, all right, I consulted some more people. So the next morning he brought me a taxi and in that taxi, the taxi driver was his cousin. We went into the taxi, and the taxi drove towards central Afghanistan, went through the crossroads. Nobody recognized us. We had all sorts of tricks to, 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 to disguise. Went to Orozgan province, a province in the center of Afghanistan, and spent one night there. I'm not going to describe the, the journey. That's the most fascinating thing. Unfortunately, the time limit does not allow me to do that, so I'll just go to the main points, tell you some stories that will tell you of the character of the Afghan people, that will tell you of why this war against terrorism succeeded so quickly, unlike lots of analysts who describe the scene otherwise before the success there.